Ready to break free from algorithms, vanity PR, and money-sucking ads? My name's Larissa Worstiak, and I've learned in seven years of jewelry marketing that content is the crown jewel. My agency, Joy Joya, takes a holistic approach, leading with laser-focused storytelling, impactful content creation, and strategic content distribution. This method has worked for the solopreneur as well as the multi-million dollar company. And now I'm sharing my systems and tactics with you. Here's to standing out in the sea of sparkle. Welcome to episode 245. Today, we'll be getting into the intricate workings of crafting successful email campaigns that truly make a difference for your jewelry brand all the way from the planning stages through the actual sending of the email to your subscribers. In the last episode, I laid the foundation by exploring the undeniable relevance of email for jewelry brands, sharing my personal favorite email marketing platform, and unveiling some essential tips and best practices. But today we'll be delving into the art of planning, executing, and delivering captivating emails straight to the inboxes of your eager subscribers. I'll be sharing exactly how I set my clients up for email marketing success that drives results. I'll be covering where do the ideas for email campaigns come from, how far in advance are we planning, creating, and scheduling an email, and what are the steps we take to ensure that each email is as impactful as possible. If you're new to this podcast, you should know from now through July of this year, I'm offering a free, yes, free six-month podcast-guided program called Jewelry Marketing Jumpstart, which involves weekly audio and video lessons just like this one, as well as companion PDF downloads that complement each new episode. This week, Jumpstart members will be getting a special email marketing project checklist. If you haven't already signed up at joyjoya.com slash jump, then I highly recommend you stop waiting and sign up now. And that link will be in the show notes as well. But before we get to the solid gold, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both audio and video. So you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. You can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave a review, I might read it on a future episode. So please let me know what you think about this one or about any other major takeaways or breakthroughs you've had recently. Also, if you're not already subscribed to the Joy Joya YouTube channel, You should know I uploaded full videos of the three different talks I did at JCK Las Vegas this year. They're about utilizing social media analytics, auditing your social media marketing strategy, and leveraging ChatGPT to streamline social media content creation. So if you want to check out those three full recordings, You'll find them on YouTube only, so check them out and subscribe now. Okay, my sparklers, let's get into the next installment of Jewelry Marketing Jumpstart. This one is all about sending an impactful email campaign from start to finish. So first we should talk about 
where do the ideas for email campaigns come from? Because obviously you can't plan to send an email and then actually send that email if you don't have an idea for it. So if you remember back in episode 236, I talked about how you can transform all your amazing marketing ideas into a master content plan. And if you don't quite remember what we talked about in that that episode, that one would be a really good one to go back and refresh your memory before listening to the rest of this episode. But basically, you wanna start by looking out at your business six months in advance, if that's possible. I want you to anticipate what's coming, what you'd like to promote, whether there will be new products and collections, any discounts and promotions, events, giveaways, exciting news, business milestones, holidays, etc. And this content plan, this like roadmap for where your business is going should really be guiding all your marketing content. So not just your email marketing, but also your website content and your social media marketing, as well as any other marketing. And it should also be updated regularly to account for any changes that happen as you plan the calendar, as you move forward throughout the year. So once we have that master content calendar, from there, we'll be able to drill down from like the big picture plan specifically into email. So your master content calendar should have space for you to jot down email ideas in the cadence that you wanna be sending emails. So for example, if you're aiming to send emails once per week, then you should have a space in your content calendar for emails once per week. (laughs) It makes sense, right? And that way you can just fill in the ideas that match the theme of each week or each month. So just as an example, if you're planning to spend a couple of weeks in July promoting pieces that are perfect for summer travel, then you'll really wanna make sure in your master content calendar that you have one or more emails that follow that theme, that really tell that story and allow it to kind of land with your target audience. Or if you know that you're launching a summer capsule collection on a specific date, then the emails working back from that date should build anticipation up to the launch as well as coincide with the launch date. So how far in advance are we really planning, creating, and scheduling an email? Well, as I just mentioned, you should really have those very general concepts of the emails at least three months out. If you can get six months out, even if it's just like a a glimmer of an idea, that's amazing because you're not going to be scrambling to like keep trying to fill in that calendar. At least you have like a sketch of a calendar for yourself. And what that looks like for my clients on the master calendar is literally just jotting down a few words in that email section of the master calendar just enough so that we all know, everyone on the team knows what we're referring to. So like show show your favorite summer destinations and jewelry wrecks would be one example. 
it's not super detailed, but it's enough to at least have like a skeleton of something in the master calendar that we know what we're aiming toward and we have an idea of the story that we're going to be telling. And those things all live in the master calendar and they always get updated um, whenever we need to update them and they get added as far out as we're able to plan. But as you can also imagine, that example I just shared, show your favorite summer destinations and jewelry recommendations does not an email make on its own. (laughs) Email marketing is super project oriented, like probably out of all the digital marketing activities, social, website content, influencer marketing, I think email is the most like project and task heavy because there are so many moving parts just to send one email effectively. So what does that actually look like and what do I mean by that? Well, to send one email, just to give you an idea, you have to make sure you've done the following. Are you ready for it? Create, gather, organize visual assets like photos, for example. Decide on the call to action. Choose the product or products you want to promote. Decide whether you want links to go to a new landing page or a new collection and whether or not you have to create that on the website. You have to write the email body copy. You have to write the subject line in preview text. You have to design the actual email you have to upload it into your email marketing platform, you have to test it, you have to choose the audience you want to send to, if you're segmenting, for example, and you need to decide when you're going to send it, and of course, send the email. As you can tell, that's a lot. And I think people, if you're listening or watching and you already do email marketing, you probably just do this without even thinking twice about it, but there really are so many moving parts and so many places where an error could potentially happen or not even an error, but where you're missing opportunities to make that email as effective as possible. At Joy Joya, we actually manage email for a number of our clients. So if that feels overwhelm- overwhelming for you in your own brand, just imagine what it's like managing it for multiple brands. So I feel like I know a thing or two about project managing emails, and I can confidently share some tips with you to manage all of these moving parts for email marketing for your own brand. So You definitely cannot just rely on your master calendar for this. You need a separate project management tool, a separate spreadsheet, a separate checklist to help you decide on the like time runway that you have to send an email. Because again, there are so many steps just leading up to the actual send. So what I like to do, we use Asana as our project management tool. You can really use whatever you want. If you're looking for one, I would suggest Asana. But then what I like to do is list all the emails that we wanna be sending in the next three months, if we can get out that far, and list the send date as the task. So I'll say like, okay, on July 15th, 
We want to send the summer vacation getaway jewelry recommendations. And then the due date becomes the send date. So that's kind of like my milestone task. That's what we're aiming for. And then you want to kind of have a repeatable tasks with all the checklist subtasks that I just mentioned, like gathering the assets, writing the email copy, writing the subject line, have that templated in your project management tool because it's always going to be the same process for every email. And then you can literally copy and paste working backward from your send date to know exactly what you need to do leading up to the email send. And then from there, and this is going to be different for every brand. How are you a one person show? Do you have a team? How organized are you realistically? How much time do you need to like get all this stuff ready? That's going to help you decide how much prep time you need before the email send date to do all of the items. But I would definitely like stagger those due dates. So maybe like two weeks ahead of the email send time, you're gathering the photos that you need. Maybe one week ahead, you are writing the copy and you start designing the email. It really just depends knowing what you know about your brand, how much time you're going to need so that the email actually gets done and you're not rushing to finish it. But to play it safe, I like to start thinking about an email and at least organizing the assets at least a week before the send date. In a perfect world, actually, I'd probably like to work even more advanced in advance than that. But I know that most human beings that I rely on to like get certain things, it's hard for them to think that far in advance. You know, they're working more closely to when things actually need to get done. So for the sake of me not driving everyone crazy, but still giving me and my team enough time to prepare stuff, we like to start the process at least a week before the email needs to send. And that gives you plenty of time to do all of the checklist things you need to do. And it also leaves room for last minute changes or if there's mistakes or errors that need to be corrected. It will also help you ensure that you've taken the time to make the email as impactful as possible so that you're not at the last minute just trying to like slap something together. And we know that that's never where the best work happens. So give yourself the best chance at success and build in the time you need to create that amazing email. And once we have everything planned out and project managed, of course, all the steps actually need to get executed. It's one thing to just put all the dates in Asana. It's another thing to go and do the tasks and check them off. So, you know, depending on how many people are on your team or how many different people are working on this email, these tasks could be achieved by one person, two people, whatever that means. But Someone's got to be writing the copy. Someone's got to be pulling the assets like photos and then organizing them. Someone is going to be designing the email. You can even use Canva to do that. Someone is uploading the images and links to your email platform like Klaviyo and then sending the tests. 
And then you and hopefully at least one other person, whether it's a friend or family member or trusted colleague, is collectively reviewing the test with you to make sure all the links work, that there are no typos, that it's clear, that there's a strong call to action. And then occasionally maybe discount codes need to be made for the email or new landing pages or collections need to be made on the e-commerce site to give the email something to link to. And again, if you're a one-person team, this is still totally doable. You just have to be even more diligent then with your project management tool and give yourself as much lead time as possible to get every step done. So typically with email, you have to learn how to work in advance. If you're not a super organized person, or you're not used to doing things ahead of time, it will require practice just for you to get in that mindset. But once you have that like repeatable project management task on lock, you will get in a rhythm of doing this and it will just become a really good marketing habit. Okay, so what are the steps that we take with our clients to ensure that each email is as impactful as possible? In the previous episode, I did share some tips and best practices, so there may be a little bit of overlap, but hopefully this like breaks it down for you a little more systematically. So what actually makes an email as impactful as possible? That, my friends, is the million-dollar question. First of all, it's definitely good to have at least one master email template that you make, whether it's in Canva or if you use like one of the Adobe programs and just work off of that template that you make one time, update it, refresh it, rather than reinventing the wheel. Not only will that save you time because email marketing can be so demanding and task heavy, but it will also create lots of brand consistency for you in your email marketing efforts. So take a look at emails from some of your favorite brands. You'll notice that the layout of their emails is generally the same again and again with some small variations. Or if you want to get a little more creative, you can even have two or three different versions of the template depending on the types of emails you regularly send. Like maybe there's one for new product or collection launches. Maybe there's one that's more for like merchandising a product roundup. Maybe there's one that's more like storytelling forward, whatever. But as you move forward in email marketing, you will start to see those patterns and get a sense for what you'll really need when it comes to visually communicating your marketing message. But keeping it consistent is so, so important overall. And just a side note related to that, there's recent data from 2022 that says people spend just nine seconds on average looking at an email. And that's Why it's so important to be consistent because they are not taking the time to try to decipher what you have to say to try to figure it out. They're kind of looking within the consistency that you give them for something that catches their eye. They're not 
reading it closely. They're not paying super close attention. You can't be throwing the kitchen sink at them. You want to be presenting just one concept and call to action. Don't include a boatload of text. Just a few lines or even phrases will be enough for that person who's spending just nine seconds on your email. The goal is not to get someone to sit with your email longer or read it. The goal is to get them to take an action. And most of the time that action is to get off the email, to visit your website in order to check out your products and or buy something. Definitely make sure you have a clear and direct call to action. And one central, like, call to action for the entire email. Using shop in your buttons, shop now, um, is totally fine. I've heard from clients that they feel like shop is very aggressive and that it's like asking a lot. But I have done testing with some clients who have the resources to do testing and shop wins basically every time. It's more effective than other CTAs. Let's not beat around the bush here. You're a brand that sells products. You want people to shop. Nobody is like trying to pretend about anything here. If the customer doesn't feel like shopping, they're not going to shop. But it's going to be super clear what you want them to do. We don't want to like try to be psychologically toying with people. Let's just make it what it is. Then having really easy to see buttons that contrast with the background of the email. Keep it simple and clean with easy to read fonts. Make sure your email is functioning well on mobile because so many people read emails on mobile devices. Lose all confusion or friction. So if there's a button, that link should be taking them to the next logical step, to the thing that you want them to do. And if you're looking for examples and inspiration, I would say really start paying attention to emails from brands that you follow and love and look at them with a critical eye, more like you're studying them and trying to kind of learn and take away something, you can also check out a resource like Milled, and I'll put that link in the show notes. It's basically a database of email marketing campaigns so that you can, instead of subscribing to a whole bunch of emails, just follow brands that you admire and see the kinds of campaigns that they're sending. All right, that's it for now on email marketing. I'll still have one more episode on email and then we're gonna move to social media. So go to joyjoya.com slash jump for additional information, action items, and further resources like a project management checklist for email that you can use today. Before we get into the gold mine, as well as my jewelry marketing news roundup, I want to share a case study of a brand that I think embodies what I talk about in this podcast. So these are my thoughts about how I'd apply my marketing philosophies to a brand in the wild. And today I want to talk about Nico Leonard and his brand Pride and Pinion. And I'll put the links to these things in the show notes so you can check them out yourself. So this week's case study is about Nico Leonard, 
He's a YouTube watch influencer and the founder of Pride and Pinion. If you haven't heard of Pride and Pinion, it's a luxury watch boutique with one of the most impressive watch collections on the island of Ireland and the United Kingdom. And when it comes to luxury watches, they provide a range of services including buying, selling, servicing, reselling, and sourcing. Nico's not only the founder of this brand, but he also has a really popular YouTube channel with more than 1.3 million subscribers. And on his channel, he does things like he comments on TikTok watch content, he critiques celebrity and influencer watch collections, he shows off some of his favorite watches, and he even gets really vulnerable about his own journeys being a business owner in the watch industry, like there's one video about him getting scammed in a watch dealing that he had. And He's not afraid to also take controversial, to put out controversial content, like he calls out influencers and rappers on their fake fancy watches <laughs> and kind of is like, makes light of it um, as an expert who really knows what he's talking about. He doesn't really overly promote his business pride and opinion on his YouTube channel, which I think really makes this an interesting example of content marketing. So the link to pride and opinion is shared in the YouTube descriptions and it says like, do you want to buy or sell a watch? And then he puts the link to it and he sometimes does speak directly about his business. Occasionally in the intros of his videos, he mentions the business. But the channel overall is not super promotional of his business. It's more about him building authority and connecting with watch fans who would ultimately be his target audience. So I think this is an excellent way for him to, again, kind of build clout in the watch space, get people to feel connected to him. And then ultimately when they are in a space where they wanna buy or sell a watch or do something related to watches, they will hopefully go check out his business. So what do you think about that? Let me know in a podcast review or YouTube comment. All right, let's get into the gold mine. If you've been following this podcast for a while, you know that I launched the gold mine last year as a segment of this podcast that's a little more personal from me, regarding topics like entrepreneurship, growth, mindset, success, etc. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. I hope you enjoy my more personal take. So today's gold mine is just a story about something I experienced at JCK this year, and it really made an impression on me, and I wanted to share it with you. So hopefully you also have some takeaways that you can apply to your own business. So when I'm at the show, I always like to shop around for a little treat for myself. And I usually come with like a shopping wish list and at least one specific thing in my mind that I'd like to buy. So I have a clear idea of what I want. And as I walk the show, I'm kind of doing my research to check out the quality, reputation of the sellers, and also the price points until I find the perfect thing that meets what I had in mind and is, in with, is within my budget. 
And in this way, I think I would be kind of similar to customers that you have, especially if you tend to sell jewelry basics that aren't custom or one of a kind. So like basic gold or diamond jewelry, engagement rings, wedding bands, everyday earrings, bracelets, necklaces, rings, you name it. Things that people would be wearing for like everyday occasions. And in that way, they're kind of shopping around rather than looking for something ultra, ultra specific. So one of my favorite vendors who I've bought from in the past, they did have what I was looking for and I was seriously considering buying from them again since I already have a relationship with them. But I was also pretty open-minded and before making my final decision, I wanted to explore a little bit more and see if I could find something different and maybe make a connection with a new vendor. And that's when a salesperson from a competing vendor caught my attention in a pretty aggressive way, and they had what I wanted. And so I decided to hear them out because they seemed really intent on catching my attention and on telling me about their products and what makes them so great. So I don't wanna name names or reveal too much to keep things confidential, but this salesperson was so confident about their products, almost in like a cocky way. They claimed to me to have the best products in their category, and they actually use that word best. But I kind of was, I was so taken aback by that, not really by the cockiness, but it just really made me reflect on the question, who determines what's best? It got me thinking, and here's the lesson I want to share. I think if your marketing or your sales strategy is calling yourself the best, you have to realize that that can be so subjective. And if the way you're trying to connect with customers revolves around that, revolves around saying you're the best in your category. Even if you're doing that in a more subtle way and not basically like grabbing my arm at JCK and telling me you're the best, I would really advise against that because the concept of best is really such a personal thing especially when it comes to a personal purchase like jewelry, which often has an emotional element, or maybe it's going to be a gift. So I know I already in my mind, before even looking at jewelry, had criteria for what would make something the best for me. I was looking for specific finishing. I was looking for availability of different metal colors. And there were a lot of other factors that mattered to me. Maybe like objectively that's best or not the best, but I think a lot of jewelry brands have in their mind based on industry standards, based on what they think is the best, they've decided, okay, this is this is the best thing in our category. But actually this vendor who was claiming to be the best, they didn't have any of the things that in my mind really mattered and what I was looking for. And instead of asking me what was important to me or saying asking specifically 
what would make something like perfect for me, they kind of ignored those customer needs and instead focused so much on their own agenda and didn't take the time to understand my personal definition of best. And I would say, you know, if they had taken the time to do that, they either could have addressed my concerns, shown me a product that was more in line with what was right for me, or they simply could have been honest and not wasted my time and said, hey, we're not the right fit for you. And that's totally fine too. As a jewelry brand, you shouldn't be catering to anyone. You should be finding the customers where there is a a match there, where your best is their best. And then the two things just match and that person will want to buy from you. Maybe for someone else, this vendor would have been the best. So I'm not like knocking them in any way. I'm just saying this is, this can be such a suggest, so subjective thing and making grand claims about being the overall best and having the best products in your category is just a losing game. And in the scope of JCK, where you're surrounded by other jewelry businesses filled with competitors, the word best just basically loses all meaning when everyone is saying the same thing. It's like white noise. So my advice is to really focus on what makes your products or services unique. And not only that, but how they fulfill the specific needs of the customers you want to be targeting. And that doesn't mean everyone. It means your customers. So get to know them, what they want, and then speak to what they want and need, not what you think they want and need or what you think they should have. So what do you think about that? Does it resonate with you? Tell me in a YouTube comment or a podcast review, and I'd love to know your thoughts. Okay, let's get into the news roundup where I share three relevant articles related to jewelry or marketing. So the first one comes from the official Instagram blog, and it's called Instagram Ranking Explained. So the head of Instagram, Adam Masseri, wrote this really in-depth explanation and blog post all about how the algorithm ranks Instagram posts. And as I'm sure you know, Instagram uses a variety of algorithms, classifiers, and processes to rank content and personalize the user experience. And now they're really trying to be much more transparent about how all of that works. I would say you really need to read the whole blog post yourself because it's super in-depth if you want to know more about this, but I just wanted to give you some main highlights specifically about how your feed is curated or about how a user's feed is curated so that you understanding that can potentially help you alter the types of content you create and post as well as when you post and how you engage with other accounts to ensure that your content gets delivered to your followers. So the feed for everyone, each individual account is super personalized and it includes a mix of content, not only from accounts that you follow, but also recommended content as well as ads. And Instagram considers recent posts from the accounts you follow and accounts you don't follow 
but things you might be interested in. And factors that influence that ranking include your activity. So whether or not you liked, shared, saved, commented on posts from that account in the past, any information about that post, like its popularity, the time it's posted, the location, and information about the person who posted it, like relevance and past interactions. And these predictions are made based on the user with the feed, their likelihood of interacting with a post. So Instagram is trying to basically deliver you things that you will be the most likely to interact with, such as spending time on it, commenting on it, liking, sharing, or going to the profile. And the higher the likelihood, the higher the post appears in the feed. So my main takeaway is, if you're looking for ways to improve your Instagram strategy, it's really valuable to know the ins and outs of how Instagram works, as well as how content is delivered to people who follow you and or may be interested in the types of content that you post. So definitely check, check out this full article for the deep dive. The next article comes from Digiday, and it's called How Much Content is Too Much? Agencies are starting to ask that question. I talk so much about content on this podcast, but this article from Digiday is just such a great reminder that content should not just be created for the sake of creating content, but it should be made and shared intentionally with the goal of adding value to your target audience's lives. Again, not just for the sake of sharing it and creating it. So one really good quote from the article, there comes a certain point in content creation in which brands need to weigh ethics and purpose alongside other more concrete goals. The goal is not to create as much content as possible And it could potentially even pose a mental health impact on people because you know we're all so super overwhelmed with content. And when you think about it from that perspective where what you put out into the universe could have an impact on someone's mental and emotional health, it really puts into perspective and gives you the responsibility to take the time to create content that's actually worth interacting with that someone would actually look forward to consuming and that truly adds value to people's lives. So are you making content that your target audience would actually want to sit and spend time with rather than ignore? And are you really pushing yourself to create true value? Quality is so much more important than quantity in this matter. Another idea from this article is when you're creating content, think more about long-term brand equity and focus less on getting those short-term views on social media. There will always be new platforms, new channels, new types of media. And if you're able to partner with the right target audience, even if it's just a niche, smaller audience, and you're delivering value that truly delights them and makes a positive difference in their lives, that's really the place that you want to be. So my main takeaway is we all have super short attention spans these days, and it's more than easy 
to turn a blind eye to something that doesn't resonate with you no matter how many times you're being hit with it. So don't make your audience even more immune to your message than they already are. Strive to wow them and make an impact with something that's worth their while. And then the last article comes from the National Retail Federation, and it's called Consumers to Spend Record Amount for Father's Day. We all know Mother's Day is such a big deal for the jewelry industry, but don't sleep on Father's Day if you sell men's jewelry. The holiday is coming up just a week after this episode is released, and more and more brands are moving into men's jewelry, but I don't see a lot of them capitalizing on the potential of these gifting holidays for men. Consumers will actually be spending a record high of $22.9 billion on Father's Day this year, surpassing last year's $20 billion. And that is while, you know, uh, rising costs of living, inflation are all little bees buzzing in our head, but yet still people are spending more money on gifting. And three quarters of consumers plan to celebrate Father's Day with the average price point spend of $196. The increase in spending is driven by purchases of clothing, electronics, personal care items, and special outings. And the most common recipients of Father's Day are not just dads, of course, but stepfathers followed by husbands, sons, brothers, friends, and grandfathers. And consumers in the 35 to 44 age category are expected to spend the most. Online shopping will be the primary destination for gift purchases. My main takeaway, even if you don't sell men's jewelry and don't necessarily have a reason to promote Father's Day as a gifting holiday, I think it's important to pay attention to news like this because record spending on gifts for a holiday is just a sign that consumers are still spending on gifts for loved ones for these like traditional gifting holidays. And even as inflation is happening, consumers don't want to skimp on splurging for their family members and friends. Gifting is in. Did you have any questions about Jewelry Marketing Jumpstart? You can always email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're completely new to digital marketing, then you'll want to purchase and read a copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy. Visit joyjoya.com book for more information. Thank you.